Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. We are a long way from home today, outside of our comfortable county boundary, but in a location with a very strong link back to home, back to the west coast of Cumbria. We're in North Yorkshire, and I'm in the company of author, illustrator, and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Hello, David. This is a wonderful foray out east. We've made it to the North York Moors, a very spacious almost empty landscape with wonderful big big skies it's a marvelous setting it's an opportunity for us to experience something very special a landscape connected with cumbria and it's all about a coast-to-coast walk a coast-to-coast walk will be well known to many listeners i'm sure one of the most popular long distance footpaths in the world Uh, certainly the most walked in this country Created by your old friend Mark, Alfred Wainwright, starts at St Bees, finishes just two days hence from here at Robin Hood's Bay, and put us on the map as to where we are today, Mark. Well, we're in effect a day into the North York Moors section of the route. We're on Blakey Ridge, near the Lion Inn, a landscape of uh, Heather Moor, but with some lovely valleys that are immediately below us, either flank of the ridge. It's a landscape rich in colour, rich in bird life, rich in human connections with the mines that were up here. And today's podcast ties together two subjects that we have long neglected. First of all, of course, yes, that great route, the coast to coast. You played a part in the early days, Mark, of walking it actually with Alfred Wainwright. So you have uh, a deep connection with the walk, but also we're talking with somebody who's been on our must-have list for many years, a woman with a fantastic life story, full of highs and lows, who has become one of this country's great access campaigners. Who is our guest today, Mark? My very good friend, Debbie North, who many of our listeners may know of, and if they know of her, they might have seen her on Country File or in other high-profile settings, which she fully merits for her endeavours in encouraging access for those people who are unable to walk in these wonderful landscapes. And uh, we hope today to discover her guiding force and what pushes her forward year on year to become the champion that she is. On our short journey along this stretch of the coast-to-coast that Debbie loves so much... We'll cover a range of topics. We'll talk about her early life when Debs discovered the great outdoors. We'll talk about her great love of long-distance walking in particular. And then we'll talk about the dark days when she thought she wouldn't walk again uh, before she found a whole new life in the outdoors made possible by some absolutely fantastic technology. So we'll cover a lot of ground, but we'll also talk about what makes this walk so special not only to Debbie, but to so many other people. I can see uh, Debs over there. She's just at the, uh, the car park. Let's go and meet Debs and start today's Country Stride.
Well, I've just arrived at Blakey, the ridge, uh, covered with heather, a real mix of heaths. And I'm looking over the edge into Rosedale, which means if you anybody who's got a Lakeland connection, it's the Valley of the Horses, as in Rhinos Pass, Roos. And we're on the Rosedale Iron Railway, wonderful trackway. And I'm in the company of Debbie North. And Debbie, it's wonderful to be with you. Can you give us a little bit of a, a potted history of you? It sounds like Silver Black. What's your name and where you come from? So I'm not blind Dave. <laughs> so I'm Debbie North and I have a love of the outdoors. Um, I'm an ordinance survey champion. I'm actually have just been appointed by the Cabinet Office as their disability and access ambassador for the countryside. This is Rosedale, we're on the North York Moors. The scenery is vast. I mean, as well as the beautiful landscape, just look above and see the cloudscape. It just goes for miles. It's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. It's an audacious landscape, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's rugged. You know, we've come out of the Yorkshire Dales and now we're in the North York Moors. This walk that we're on now is one of the North York Moors Miles Without Styles, which is literally miles. We can go right around the curve of this uh, valley, right round to the smelting works, to the old mining, all the way around, and it's just simply beautiful. And this is a special walk because we're actually on part of the Coast to Coast walk, and if we left the path here and just went over the hill, we come to the famous Lion Inn at Blakey, and that's where you get the beer and you put your head down for the night, ready for the next day walking onto Glaisdale or Gromont. And, you know, when you do the coast to coast, you go over the Lake District and you've got the mountains and you've got all the water there. And then you go through the gentle rolling hills of the Yorkshire Dales. And then your next chapter is this, the ruggedness and the moorlands off the North York Moors. In a way, we're still connected with Cumbria here because the whole seeds of the idea of the coast to coast were born and founded with Alfred Wainwright in the Lake District. Wainwright based his idea of a coast to coast journey from the Greyhound coaches of North America going coast to coast was a grand idea. Here has got this wonderful expression because it links three wonderful national parks, each very distinct. We'll explore that a little bit further as we trawl our way along this trail and uh, try to keep up with you. <laughs> Lovely spot this, isn't it, Debbie? We're at the head of Rosedale. We're looking down into the upper pastures. There's a little cluster of stonewall enclosures there with uh, some cattle in it and the general emptiness of the horizon is there and there's a little cluster of trees there and we've just had a squall of rain but we're in a reasonably sheltered spot and it gives me a moment to talk about your youth and the influences of the great outdoors on your life. Well, my mum and dad were school caretakers. I was born in Sheffield and my dad used to say... I should have been born in a field because he never actually saw me from the moment I got up to the time it was called in for bedtime because I'd be out there making dens amongst the uh, horse chestnut trees and it was a great childhood because I had a lot of space continuing on to school. I had a very inspirational teacher called Mr Fletcher who in actual fact is still one of my best friends. I call him my surrogate dad because he's, he's always there, he's always looked after me. But he 
took me out to the school farm, which was up in the Peak District, where I did a lot of exploring then as a child around Lady Bower and Kinder Scout and up on Stanage Edge. Uh, I did a lot of orienteering in Blackamoor. From your very earliest days, was there some element of the outdoors that really triggered your interest? It was. I mean, I was never an academic child. You know, if I could avoid reading and writing and arithmetic, I would take every opportunity. But when I was outside, I could be me and I could use my imagination and I could build little fairy glens with twigs and leaves that I'd found. And nobody broke into my world of imagination that freedom to roam and you know I was never a child that was interested in fashion and branded labels for clothes well, mum and I just couldn't afford them anyway but when I was outside I was me and I could just go home covered in mud and mum wouldn't bat an eyelid and that's what I believe that children should be today that give them that safety of being outdoors because it makes you grow into the person that you're going to be as you get older. Well, we'll move a little further along this lovely track. There's some walkers coming towards us, so we'll learn more about your love of long-distance walking. We'll pause a moment again. It's a lovely spot, the rain just abating. Thinking about that relationship you have with long-distance walking, where were the seeds of the idea? The seeds came from a drunken evening. It was a staff do. I used to teach at Westmore Junior School in Dewsbury, and this teacher arrived called Andy North. I did not like him. <laughs> he came as my line manager, that was the only reason I didn't like him, because I didn't like having to take orders from him. But he was a bloody good teacher, and he had the children eating out of his hands. But we went for a staff night out, and we got talking about walking and things, and it was decided that as a staff we'd do the coast-to-coast. And everybody said, oh, yeah, go on, I'm up for it, I'm up for it, I'm for it. But when everybody sobered up the next day in the staff room, when the Alka-Saltzers were being handed around... There was only Andy and I that had said, well, yeah, we'll do it. And so we, we made a truce to put our ill feelings of each other to one side while we planned for this coast to coast. And uh, we did it. I mean, we set off as people that didn't like each other. <laughs> then we finished up as friends. And uh, the further we walked into the walk, I started thinking, actually, this is all right. And then sort of by Keld, I was thinking, you know, I actually quite fancy him. And by the time we got to Gromont, well, it were fireworks, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and then Robin Hood's Bay, my mum came and picked us up and we dropped Andy off at his house. And mum dropped us off at my house where I lived. And uh, that night there was a knock on the door. And I opened it up and it was Andy and he said, are you fed up? And I said... I am, he said, I'm missing you. I said, I am missing you. And he never actually went home again. <laughs> so, yeah, so four years later, we did the coast to coast again. But this time, you know, as, as a couple, we were living together. And by the time we got to the North Sea, Andy, as we threw our stone into the North Sea, he proposed to me and asked me 
to marry him. Uh, he said it was through pure exhaustion. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't letting him get off with it. And so that year we married and uh, never looked back. It's wonderful. It's a, it's a genuine walking romance. And that is why I have such a love of this walk, this long distance walk, because every step I could tell you a little story of Andy and I's relationship and how it developed from just being friends to being lovers. And uh, it was just wonderful. You know, we forgot about normal life. We forgot about all the cares and worries of school days. We were just out in the freedom of the Coast to Coast Walk. So subsequent to walking the coast to coast, you walked the Dales Way and the Cumbria Way. But what was so special about the coast to coast walk? When you've read... Wainwright's words about the coast to coast and he makes it quite romantic in the feel of the walk. You get a certain passion from him and you want to have some of that passion of your own and to create your own memories and the fact that it's two weeks, it takes two weeks of your life and in that two weeks you learn so much about yourself and you learn so much about the people that you're walking with it is a, a journey of finding yourself and believing in yourself, pushing yourself to the limit. And I was saying to you earlier before we, we started recording, it's about taking up a challenge. Don't be afraid of taking up the challenge because if you don't ever challenge yourself, you, you become stale and that's when you become old and, and life becomes a chore. So the coast to coast is a challenge on your feet and mentally that you can do each day and in the process of walking the trail what did you discover about yourself i think i discovered that i'd got grit i got the determination because i was in pain i mean at one point <laughs> the bottom of my foot was falling off i was losing skin by the pounds <laughs> but i just wanted to keep going because i wanted to see what was around the corner and I discovered that I actually had got more about me than I thought I had. I've always been a character. I've always, you know, loved being the, the clown at the parties. But I didn't, I didn't have to hide behind that clown's face when, when you're out here. It didn't matter if I just wanted to stop for a while and just think about what was happening in my life or what was happening in the world. Nobody expected me to be the clown I could just be Debbie. Just looking up onto the brow from where I am, and there's a, the roof of a building, which isn't actually the Lion Blakely, but it's very close to. And the Lion is quite significant in terms of walkers on the trail. The Lion Inn is famous for the coast to coast, and it's always busy, and it's a great atmosphere. By the time we get to this stage in the journey, you're probably nine or ten days into it, you're usually on your knees, really. Yeah, I mean, it is a lovely day because it is relatively flat. You are coming along the moors on tracks like this, so you can actually get good speed up. And if you're clever like us from Claybank Top, you get your head down and you walk fast. You can be in the pub by lunchtime Whoa. and you can stay in the pub all day, which we did. <laughs> so you can take a breath here and uh, rejuvenate. By the time you've got here, of course, you are 
fed up a full English breakfast <laughs> that every good landlady <laughs> serves you. You know, you just want a piece of toast by this time. But there's that, that feeling that you're nearly there. You've yeah. broken the back of it now. You might as well just enjoy the rest of it because you're going to do it. Yeah, if you've got to here, you are going to do it. You know, you carry on then from the pub where we're looking straight ahead. The walk that we're doing, we're going around the valley, but over and heading off towards the east for the final goal. It's your last big push now to, get, big push. to get to the east coast. So. Oh, amazing. But I could hear grouse and I heard a curlew then, so I know I'm on proper moorland here. You are. Anyway, we'll go a bit further, Debs. Wonderful to see that squall move away down Rosedale. Gosh, and the blue sky's coming, goodness me. We've got this picture of you, Debbie, as a great walker. You love the great outdoors. The world is your oyster. You want to climb every hill in front of you. But suddenly something happens. It did, um, and it started. Uh, we'd gone down to Lincolnshire. I'd taken on a headship of a, a primary school down there. Andy took the opportunity to pursue his career as a writer and so we took that decision that he would finish and I would go and do this job and life was good we were living on a farm and it was it was just brilliant we were loving the country life but then I started getting a, a wee bit of backache and he used to laugh at me he said I look like a coffee table at times when I bent down I couldn't get back up he said stay there I can put my feet upon you it got to that point where I thought well by now I need to go to the doctors and the doctor said to me yeah well you and everybody else in Lincolnshire's got backache but you know we'll send you for a few tests and see what's wrong and I had an MRI and it, it came back that I'd got the skeleton of a, an 80 year old and basically my spine was crumbling away and he basically said get off your feet now you know you cannot put any more extra weight on on the spine as it is so I took a few months off work and I went back to school now in a, in a wheelchair. The chair of Governor's Child, who was in the school at the time, said, oh, I see Mrs North's back. Have you noticed anything different about her? He said, yes, she's had her hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great because the children actually didn't take any notice of the fact that I was in a wheelchair. The fact that, you know, my life had changed significantly, that... And he had now become a carer rather than doing what he wanted to do, doing the writing. He had to sort of take that role up. And I, I was in work for maybe 12 months, but the pain was severe. I was on a cocktail of morphine, tramadol, diazepam, amitriptyline, and I was living in a fog. I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. I was making careless mistakes at work. I was pretending that I could do it because I, I loved it. And to have to take that decision that ill health retirement was the only option was, it was devastating, absolutely devastating. How old were you at that point, Deb? Uh, late 40s now. Right. So quite young. So I, I finished. I finished work 
and uh, it was too much on the farm. We bought a little bungalow, which oh, I used to call it my deathbed bungalow. I'd just become an old person. That's when that black dog of depression just started nipping at my heels. Suddenly, for the pair of you, walking had come to a grinding halt. The one thing that brought you together, that mattered the most to you, had gone. You know, Andy would not walk now without me. Uh, he said, it's, it's not fair, it was wrong. We started our relationship walking and that love of sharing that experience of the outdoors. And he said it was void. It didn't mean anything to him now. We'd drive up to the Yorkshire Dales thinking that, you know, that I'd be okay to see the Dales. And I remember sitting in Horton Dales, the car park there, and watching people don their hiking boots and sling on their rucksacks. And I knew damn well they were heading up towards Penny Gens. It was soul-destroying, you know, and what, what did we do? We went and found a place for a cup of tea. There was a great sadness. And we tried all sorts of things because being outdoors was our spiritual home. And we tried to get that spirituality through other means. I mean, you'd laugh. We even tried didgeridoo therapy to listening to somebody playing a didgeridoo. I remember sitting in my wheelchair, Andy was laid on the floor, and he opened one eye and looked at me. And he, that look that only a couple has together, like, what the bloody hell are we doing here with his mind? And his didgeridoo. We did angel therapy. We did everything to try and get that spiritual bit back into our lives. But this was our spiritual life. Outdoors was our spirituality. So, you know, it, it didn't matter how loud or how long you could hold that woo. And <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't going to work for us. So, uh, oh, we're bloody crackers, bear of us, bloody crackers. <laughs> That was wonderful just a moment ago. I heard a cuckoo. Did you hear it, Deb? I think it's the first one of the season I've heard, yeah. Gosh. It's great. And, of course, got the little birds flitting about there. Grouse, <laughs> primarily around here. I do miss being up on the fells above Nateby where be hearing the curlews now and the skylark and seeing the oyster catcher. And, again, it's that, just stopping and listening. We took... A part of the charity that we do, Access the Dales, which you know I'll talk about later on, we took a party of visually impaired out to the nature reserve at Ingleborough. It was part of this project called Wild Ingleborough. And there was the lady who was totally blind. And she said, you know, I can't see anything, but I can feel it. She's like, I can hear the birds. And listening to her, it was like her reading poetry. Her descriptions was just awe-inspiring and quite moving, to be honest, to listen to somebody that can't see it, but seeing it with her ears. And I don't think we use our ears enough when we're outdoors. We get our heads down and we, we march along, take time and stop and listen to nature and look at nature through all your senses. I can hear a, 
What's that? That was a curlew yeah. I heard there. Right on cue. <laughs> right on cue. The mic picked it up, yeah. but it was there. This is an interesting feature. What was it, uh, Dabs? It's the remains of the water tower that gave the engines their last bit of energy to be able to get back to the top of the valley before they started the descent down. It's lovely it survived to that degree. Mm. It's just a reminder of the rich industrial history. Well, we've told your story. We were at that point when you were feeling depressed, the black time where you didn't know what the future held for you. No, I was in hospital for three months, a long stretch being hospital, and at that time I had some surgery done on my spine to alleviate some of the pain and to build it up a wee bit. And I came out of the hospital then, straight into a bout of pneumonia. I'll remember the day. It was the 1st of March I wrote a blog, and the reason I know it was the 1st of March was because on the 28th of February, that's when I finished work. So I wrote a blog, and it was, Who Am I? I wasn't Mrs North, the head teacher, because that had now finished. I wasn't the mother that I was, the smother mother, because the children had now grown up and, and they'd left home, they were off to university. I wasn't Debbie the Fellwalker. Who, who was I? And I put it on the web, and it was incredible that the number of people that wrote in saying... I know exactly what you mean, but I'm the same, I can't get out any law. And I was, at that point it was like, surely, if I'm feeling that, there must be other people that are feeling that. So how can we break this? How can I get back into the countryside? You mentioned the other people you spoken to uh, who are relaying back to you this problem that they too were having in accessing the countryside and the places that mattered to them. We were getting people contacting us say from the armed forces that have come back from war missing limbs they still wanted the adventure and excitement of the adrenaline rush but they were now finding themselves in a wheelchair or people that like Andy had stopped walking because their loved ones were suffering with MS or Parkinson's we had a gentleman that contacted us saying that his dad was 70, he was a keen hill walker now, but Parkinson's disease was taking his ability to get outdoors away from him. So there were some really sad stories that were, were coming to us. People lost hope. It was quite heartbreaking, quite heartbreaking to hear. The Access to Dale's dream that you had, it came to life the occasion you were guided up to Gordale Scar. It was, I mean... If you've ever been to Gordale Scar, it's a cavern of limestone around you with the waterfall at the end. And you're walking into this cavern area thousands of years ago, so it collapsed. And yeah, it's just powerful. It's just absolutely powerful. So after, you know, I'd written this blog and we'd got people writing into us about walks, I put a tweet out and said, you know, does anybody know a walk that I can do in the Yorkshire Dales? And this chap called Jonathan, who runs a company called Where to Walk in the Yorkshire Dales, said, 
you know, I think we might be able to get you to Gordale Scar. So we arranged to meet him one Sunday and it was a friendship that was going to last for a long time. Andy and Jonathan just hit it off as mates that day. They were talking football as they kicked stones out of the way so I could trundle along in a, a normal powered wheelchair that I'd been given after uh, my operation. And that walk, it was hard work, but it was possible. And that really kick-started now that I was going to do more of this. This was my new life. Bugger the fact that I was on wheels now. I could still do it. And that got my excitement going and the oh, fire. It lit the fire up in my belly. I was ready to get outside again and discover about all-terrain wheelchairs and discover different walks and discover this thing that was called Miles Without Styles. If it, there were some in the Yorkshire Dales, were there some in the Lake Districts, were there some in Northumberland? When I started researching, I found it was on the news one night. There was an interview going on with this man called Sam that had won an award for an innovation of an all-terrain wheelchair called the Train Hopper in Lincolnshire. Contacted them up, found out that they were only a short distance away from where we lived. And I went and tested it and we went out on the beach at Cleethorpe. So it was just incredible that I was back out again, just pottering about and it... The excitement started growing. I contacted the Yorkshire Dales and I became involved in the local access forum and the access for all group and started knocking on doors saying, hey, come on, how, how can we open up the countryside more? And in fact, I was with David Butterworth, the CEO of the Yorkshire Dales National Park, only a few weeks ago. And he said, Debs, you have been a thorn in my side for the last 10 years. He said, a, a very nice thorn. He said, because you've kept tapping at me, going on and on at me about access. He said, and the time is right. The time is right. And he says, and what I love about you is you've never deviated from the message that you first said to me was, how do we open up the countryside for all? How can we remove these styles, change them for gates? How can we make the countryside more affordable for people because it's not just about wheelchair access it's about how do we actually first of all get to the Yorkshire Dales and to the national parks what is the transport systems like for people moving around how do you get here to this spot without a car so it's not just about wheelchairs it's about access for everybody and that then became my mission to make a countryside for all and you know I adopted the motto making the inaccessible accessible and that's what I'm doing today now is showing people what can be achieved and with my train hopper and I I love climbing mountains as you know <laughs> the higher and the further that I can be the happier I am these treads oh, are your boots these are my four seasons hiking boots and you know, I'm reaching places that I never, ever dreamed that I would be back on the top of Blencathra again <laughs> and Skidor and climbing up Hell Valley. They were unreal. That time of that black dog, I never, ever, ever thought that I could stand on top of a summit, put my hand on that trig point and say, I've done it. 
we launched the campaign to raise the money for getting an all-terrain wheelchair in the Yorkshire Dales. And the day that we came to the launch of the Yorkshire Dales, we were sat in the pub with Jonathan. I'd said to Andy, I'd love to do the coast to coast just one more time, but you know, this time we're using the terrain hopper. And Jonathan says, you bloody crackers you are, you bloody crackers. And I said, yeah, but is it possible? Anyway, when Andy went to the loo, he came back, Jonathan says, um, I'm sorry, mate, but we're doing the coast to coast. He says, I only went for a slash. He said, well, we're doing it. We're doing it next April. Well, we move on a little bit out of the rain because I really want to hear that full story of doing the coast to coast in the altered rain. Okay. And it's all terraining now. It's all ter Oh. You never stop, do you? <laughs> Would you believe it? Another squall, Debbie. We don't deserve it. But there again, sunshine after the rain is always wonderful. It'll be coming because I can see it's going to change soon. But before it does dry off... I do want to talk just for a little bit about that historic crossing of the coast to coast that you and Andy conceived and executed. Can you describe some of that? We, we did. We didn't know whether it was possible or not. I mean, we spent hours with Jonathan looking at maps, working out bridleways, a network that we could get across the terrain right from you know the west coast over to the east coast. We couldn't follow Wainwright's journey because there'd be too many styles in the way. So we knew that we had to make our own route across. You know yourself that what you see on the paper doesn't always aspire to the real life. We had these ideas of bridal ways, but we didn't know whether we could actually do them. I'd contacted the train hopper company that I'd been out and had a test drive in, in the train hopper. At that time, Mandy and I, there was no way that we could afford one. We asked them about borrowing one and they said, well, yes, they'd not actually envisaged the train hopper to be used for such a, a walk. And there were concerns about battery life and the fact that we would be doing 14 miles, 15 miles a day. So they started looking at how they could perhaps put two batteries into the terrain hopper. I needed harness because at that time I hadn't got the strength to hold myself up. Then we started planning accommodation, which was an absolute nightmare because there just wasn't the facilities that I needed of accessible bathrooms along the way. And we needed a backup driver because we knew we'd have to ferry backwards and forwards to suitable accommodation. So it was an awful lot of planning for a journey that we didn't actually know if it was going to be possible. And that morning we set off at St B's, you know, we gave each other that look again, you know, what the dickens are we doing here? We couldn't climb up the cliffside at Rubiners Bay, we walked up the hill and then joined the coast to coast on Tenerdale through Lowther Park. And we came across our first obstacle, Lowther Park. We'd walked through the Forestry Commission land there and we got to a gate that was locked. And he said, bloody hell. But we came across all sorts of obstacles along the way. You know, we came along paths where big boulders had been put in place to stop people 
coming along in the motorcycles. One of the big ones, as you know, because you came and joined us on that section, was how do we get across the M6? And David arranged for us to go through the quarry. That was David Pitt. That David arranged that for us, and it was great because all the lorries were told to stop for an hour for our safety. How do we safely get across the A19 was another one. And coming across the North York Moss, as you've seen here on this, this section, the gates are locked and we've had to stop and get round and we came across horse styles as we climbed over towards Gromont and, and over that way. So there were an awful lot of obstacles along the way, things that we never anticipated would be in our way. And how the bloody hell we arrived in Robinson's Bay, you know, 14 days after we'd set off. We were amazed ourselves, but we did it. You'd achieved this a great journey and you'd moved to Cumbria. Life was wonderful, but sadness was just around the corner. Life was bloody good. One of the quotes that I always say of Wainwright was, you were made to soar, to crash to earth, to rise and soar again. And that is very much my life because we'd picked ourselves up, we'd moved out of the bungalow of death, we'd got back to Cumbria and we were out once more on the fells having a bloody good time. And then we got the news that that Andy had got a very severe cancer and within eight weeks of diagnosis, Andy passed away and that was... It was dreadful. It was absolutely dreadful. Because uh, once more, I'd got to start picking myself up again. And it was a big hole, or it still is a big hole to fill, because he was and still is the love of my life. But one of the things that he said to every single person that came to see him in his last few weeks was... Make sure that Debs keeps doing what she's doing. I'm doing it for myself, but also doing it for Andy. Although, you know, I've been on the TV programmes saying, oh, look, this woman has climbed this hill and this mountain and this woman has done that. I couldn't have done it without him. And so I am doing it for him. And one of the things that Andy was very keen about was children. You know, he was a deputy head himself. And it was about how do we get the children back out into the countryside. So we set up a Just Giving page to raise money to buy an all-terrain wheelchair specifically for children. It just shows you how much Andy was loved because within three weeks of launching that in memory of Andy, we had £16,000 donated and we put the order in for the train hopper and train hopper said, well, we'd like to donate a train hopper. In the same time, a company called TGA Mobility, who had done a little bit of work with when, when Andy was alive, rang me up and said, what's I going to be in on Thursday? I said, yeah, yeah. And they said, well, we're sending you a little present. And they sent me a, a wheelchair and they said, you know, it, it won't replace Andy, but I hope it will help. And suddenly we finished up with with all these wheelchairs that were coming in, being donated. So as a family, we said, well, what are we going to do about it? 
And so we made the blog Access the Dales into the charity Access the Dales. And that was sort of the next chapter on. We've set up these hubs around the Yorkshire Dales where people can come and borrow different types of wheelchair because we've got different all-terrains in different locations for different abilities. So we've got train hoppers out in Nateby over the fells there where we want the people who want the big adventures to be able to go up and get that awe and wonder and having that bit of excitement and adrenaline up there. We've got the children's train hopper that's up at Ravenseat with Amanda Rowan and Clive and she became patron because she was a great support when Andy was very ill and you know she was a good friend and is a very good friend to me now. So she's got the children's train hopper up there. We've got Malham Cove can get there. We've got Gordale Scar. We had to have one to Gordale because that was my very first accessible walk. Wheelchairs over in T-Bay because the How Gills are so wonderful, as you know. We, so people now can go for a lovely rugged walk up onto the fells by the How Gills. We're just sorting one out for the station in. So the Ribble Head is going to be accessible now and that beautiful nature reserve at Ingleborough. So it's constantly growing and the more people that we can say, look, the Yorkshire Dales are open, come come and experience them we're not charging for them because we do not want money to be another barrier people can come and if they can afford to donate to the charity great if they can't we don't care just come along and enjoy the Yorkshire Dales when you were not able to go out walking Andy chose to not go out walking either because he was one and the same with you but you've taken a different approach what we're getting now with the charity is people coming out together, couples again. We, we had a lady with MS come out and use the chair and she said, it's giving my husband a break from pushing me everywhere. And he was so giddy, the husband, that he was out with his wife in a view that he never thought that he'd have that view ever again because of the wheelchairs. And we're getting beautiful stories up at... Ravensea with the children you know there was a dad that came with his son who'd got severe learning difficulties he didn't know where he was he could have quite easily been back at home playing on his tablet so for the boy it wasn't a big thing but for the dad it was and he cried he said he never thought that he'd be out on the fells again with his son the sadness Tinted with this story is that the wheelchair at Nateby has sort of been adopted by the community, not just visitors to the Yorkshire Dales, but people living in Kirby Stephen that wouldn't have normally been able to get out. And when we launched that one, a gentleman came called Tim who'd got um, lung disorder. I can't, I don't know what illness it was, but it prevented him from walking. And he loved it. He was like a, a giddy child, whizzing up and down. And Tim passed away last week. But his wife has got that memory of, of Tim having the time of his life up on the fells that he loved. He had one last walk up on the fells. We've got lots of those sort of testimonials coming in from people. It's an endless trail 
of success that you're building. It's wonderful. Humanity of it is amazing. Another shower has gone through. Hint of sunshine again. This is a wonderful mix of uh, climatic change here. And the outdoors and the access has transformed your life and given you a purpose. You've actually been given this role of disability and access champion for the government, in effect. The cabinet officer have given you this job, so you've got a leading role in the nation now, which I think is staggering and affirmation of the impact you've had. Have you got a sort of wish list that will guide your actions and drive your mission in the near future? Well, the role is for three years. And so in that three years, it's about being your eyes and ears for the minister and letting him really know what is actually happening on the ground and what I'm wanting to achieve. And one of the things that I go around a lot of the national parks and I, I travel a lot is about the inconsistencies of information. So if I want to do a walk in the Yorkshire Dales and an easy access walk in the Yorkshire Dales, is an easy access here comparable to what it would be in Dartmouth or the Lake Districts or Northumberland? There is this branding, Miles Without Styles, which are, as it, you know, it's what it says on the tin. But is everybody working to the same way of auditing these routes? How is the information presented to people? Where is it presented to people? You know, and I know, because we have a love of the outdoors, about national parks. But when you actually start talking to people, there are lots of people that don't even know what a national park is or where you go to be in a national park. So they wouldn't necessarily Google walks in national parks. So where, where does all this information sit? Who is in charge of it? Who's coordinating it all? And one of the things that, you know, I've got a meeting with the minister next week, I wanted to talk to him about is ways of developing statutory guidelines so that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. So when we're talking about obstacles, are we all talking about the same kind of gates to be used? Who is talking to the landowners about removing a style for a gate. Do the landowners understand the difficulties? Do the person who are wanting to remove that style or kissing gate, do they actually understand the impact that that has for the landowner, the farmer, in his grazing? So there's a lot of education to be done. It seems a long time ago since Glover wrote that report about the purposing of national parks and in it he quite clearly stated about making national parks accessible to all and I was absolutely slated on social media social media a good thing or bad another discussion but I was slated about it saying oh you know this is what you want in concrete paths all around the UK one bloke said to me oh, next thing you'll want to stand a stair lift at top of Scarfell Pike 
I said, it's your ignorance. That is not what accessibility is about. Today we're on a really good purpose track, this old railway track. With technology now, the way it is and the way all-terrain wheelchairs are being designed, these big knobbly wheels are actually having less of an impact on erosion than the thin tyre tracks of cycles. But what I'm trying to say is we don't have to concrete the paths. We can use technology for people to get up onto the fells and certainly the hub that we've set up in, in Nateby is not on paths, it's out on open access land. That is an example of making it accessible without changing the landscape. Quite. Well, Deb's many people will value the opportunity of the outdoors being available to them through your endeavours. It's a moment where we'll enter into that wonderful world of Lake District quickfire questions. <laughs> uh, what was your first Lake District memory? First Lake District is up Skidor in a lightning storm. And it was wonderful. It would just come crashing down and... Uh, we got down as fast as we could. And I threw my flask away because it was a metal flask. <laughs> so if you're ever in Dodds Woods, you might find a flask, which is mine. <laughs> well, we'll look out for that. Uh, have you a favourite fell? Perhaps you've answered that question. A uh, Kirk fell, actually. Um, that was one of our sunrise moments where we climbed up. So we were on the top for the sunrise. Well, you went up. straight up from the Wazelle head, straight that, up the nose. Yes. Wow. Steep. Wainwright drew it, didn't he, looking through his legs? Yeah. <laughs> I said, how steep is this, Andy? And he said, bloody. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Wainwright or Wordsworth? Wainwright. There you are. I've already quoted him a couple of times today, so it has to be Wainwright. Absolutely. Um, have you a favourite view? A view, Blencathra. I love on the side of Blencathra. I always go to Blencathra from this Blencathra centre, but sitting on there, looking over Derwent Water, wonderful view. Marvellous. Have you a particularly memorable walk that you could share with us? I have to say, when I did the Cumbrian Way, that was a wonderful walk. And if you haven't done it, I'd put it on your bucket list. But go Carlisle to Ulverston. Because it's so lovely to walk to Ulverston instead of walking into Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> when you're out in your all-terrain and you're having a, quite an extended day, where do your thoughts wander? Back to nature. Can you hear the cuckoo again? Um, I just I get absorbed into where I am. And my friend Jean will always laugh at me because I always say, look at those clouds. Just gorgeous. I love clouds and I love watching them move and I love seeing pictures in them and, yeah, fascinating. Have you a favourite season in the Lakeland year? Lake District in the autumn. I love the colours, the autumnal colours. Have you a favourite period in Cumbrian history? I always wondered what it'd be like whenever you go up to Skiddaw House and up there, I wonder what it would have been like in the olden days. You get a good feeling now because of you've no internet there, your lighting on a generator. But can you imagine being up there with candlelit? It's back and beyond, isn't it? It's a wonderful place. Um, have you a Cumbrian heroine or hero, dead or alive? A Cumbrian hero? Well, heroine. Oh, actually, I must actually say that you 
because when I met you, you drew my very first map, my coast to coast. So you're my hero, Mark. <laughs> oh, goodness <laughs> me. Well, um, I, 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 find, I find that rather touching. Um, <laughs> is there a unique magic to the Lake District? Yes. Yes. There's nowhere like the views that you get when you're on top of Blencathra or you're on top of Helvellyn and you look out and everybody, even the hardest, coldest-hearted person, must get an awe and wonder moment when you're out in the Lake District. When the time comes and a few friends gather to remember you in a place that means something special to you, where in Cumbria might that be? Well, I know exactly where it will be. It will be upon high seat, because that's where Andy is. So I will be back with him on high seat. That's uh, Malastang Edge? It is on Malastang, absolutely, it's on Malastang. And it's a beautiful place up there. So, yep, that's where I'll be. If you want to come and see me, I'll be up there. <laughs> well, the, the spirit of Andy and the spirit of Debbie linger in a wonderful landscape and your company has been exceptionally joy to me and I'm sure to many of our dear listeners. Thank you so much, Debbie. Journey's End, we're back at the car park. I'm semi-wet through. <laughs> we had three distinct... I'm not even sure I'd said it was... But they were kind of squalls, weren't they? Yeah, it was like showers merging for a time, but we did get some rainbows. I didn't see any rainbows. Oh, I saw one just a moment ago. I think mm. after we finished the main recording. Oh, that's a I was chatting. Yeah, it was a shame, that. But we heard lots of birds. We did. That was lovely, actually. Curlew, the yeah. cuckoo. Yeah, grouse. Plenty of grouse, yes. Yeah, yeah. What a life story that is. I mean, we do occasionally do these kind of podcasts, don't we, Mark, where mm. we speak to somebody about a fascinating life that they've lived, but I don't think many will have quite the levels of, of highs and lows that Debbie has had. It is an extraordinary story. This woman has been through the mill several times. She's been down, she's been up, she's been down, and she's up again has been given a major role, a national role, mm. which I think just mind-blowing. I'm so chuffed to call her a friend. Yeah, and I'm sure she'll be able to bring that absolute passion, commitment into Westminster, which is something they need a bit of at the moment. I think a lot of people involved in the outdoors movement think that the mothballing of Glover has been a, a great shame. So much work went into that report, and it was widely endorsed across the movement. Uh, such a shame that nothing has happened since its publication. So if Debs can use that a little bit to drive forward some of the proposals from that, I think that would be brilliant. And if anybody can, right, uh, Debs is the woman. Um, I love some of her memories from the coast to coast. Really, today's podcast, as much as anything, is, and I think we'll call it this, it's a coast to coast love affair. We will put uh, links to Debbie and all of her work on the website. So if you want to check that out, 
do go to www.countrystride.co.uk. Uh, we'll wind up now. What's probably been quite a long podcast, I think, but worth the extra minutes with our usual housekeeping. If you like what we do, the best way you can support us is by either buying our series of walking guidebooks, which are at www.countrystride.co.uk, or you can gift us as little as £2 a month on Patreon, and that small pot of cash enables us to continue the podcast, pay for the petrol, and indeed for the cost of some of the kit and the bandwidth and, and those kind of things. So we really appreciate all of our supporters who are behind us there and who keep this on the road. We're on social media, Mark. At Country Stride 1, Facebook and Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and another final bit of exciting news, and a, a word of thanks really to all of our listeners as well, is we give 50 pence from the sale of every one of our guidebooks to local charities. The beneficiary of the Oldswater Walking Companion has been Fix the Fells, and last week mark we were able to give them a rather whopping two and a half thousand pounds i think it was two thousand seven hundred fifty pounds or something went to fix the fells uh, and we're delighted to support them one of the best projects really in the lakes i think at the moment doing absolutely wonderful work anyway that's us signing off after our fabulous trip out of the county and across the country nearly all the way um and we'll see you next time on country stride